Well, let me begin the message today because I have something really important to share with you. Uh, if you've been tracking with us for the last several weeks, you know that we are in the midst of a series that we've been calling We Are the Church. And I have the privilege, <clears throat> excuse me, of concluding uh, that series today. This has been an important series uh, for us as the church, and many of you have reflected that the Lord has spoken to you and encouraged you, and most importantly, challenged you through this series. And I'm glad because that's precisely what these uh, messages are supposed to do. They're supposed to encourage you when you're doing well. They're supposed to challenge you when you're lagging behind and getting complacent. But in some total, it's supposed to call you higher uh, to a place of living and existing, particularly within the realm of God's design and kingdom uh, in a way that pleases him and not necessarily a way that suits us, right? And so when we talk about us being the church, uh, the Bible refers to us as the body of Christ. And what we've been saying for the last couple of weeks is that when God had the church in mind, he didn't particularly have a building in mind, this building per se. He had the ecclesia, the body of Christ, a group of people in mind uh, when he thought of this church. And so as we walked through this series and challenged us to lean into this, we've talked about the importance of the church having distinctiveness, being dis different from the world, being salt and being light. We spent about three weeks talking about the importance of unity uh, and, and, and addressing the issues of diversity, how our diverse parts of the body are supposed to coexist together and be a witness to what the Spirit is doing among us. And uh, while we've emphasized the importance of the church being the people and not so much the building or the, the church building, uh, I do want to conclude this series by talking about the importance of what we do in the building. And so I think it's important as we round out this series to talk about what I simply call the gathering, right? The gathering what we're doing right here and right now, what our friends at Calvary, Assembly of God Church, just down the street, and at Freedom Church will do at noon, and what Woodlands is doing right now, and what CLC is doing at all of their campuses right now, and what Solutions Church is doing right down the road. The gathering is not the only aspect of the church, but it is an important part of the church. Many of you, if you know my story, you know that I am, I'm a lifer in this. I, I, I was practically born in the pew, a preacher's kid from the south suburbs. Uh, and I, church in many ways is, 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 is all I really know. At least it's most of what I know. Much of my spiritual formation and discipleship happened within the confines of a place just like this. And as a result of that, I have a deep love and affection for the church. I am who I am today because somebody loved me. Because somebody attended to me. Because somebody took time to left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot, walk life out with me and show me how to be a man, how to show me how to be a Christian man. Much of that happened within the context of the local church. So I'm not talking to you today as somebody who's too cool for church. And somebody, some of you know folks who are just too cool for church. They're too hip for church. They're too saved for church. Can't say a kind word about the church. I'm not one of those guys. I have a deep affection for this place. I, I feel privileged to do what I do here. I love the church with all of her warts. 
and all of her dysfunction and how she has found herself often on the wrong side of history, throughout history, certainly imperfect. I love the church. I'm a product of the church. And so, therefore, I take seriously the work that I do here. And so the way I see it, my job as the pastor here, our job as the worship team here, our job as, as, as folks who teach the children and teach our teenagers, our job, as I understand it, is to help to usher people in to the presence of God. Let me say that again. My job, our job, as you gather here in God's house, is to usher people in to presence of God. This is the business we're in, to facilitate a meeting between you and God, to set the atmosphere for worship and devotion. That is the business we're in. And if it's true that that's the business we're in, I have to regularly ask myself this really simple question, how's business? If the business we're in is to facilitate Worship, to set an atmosphere so that people might easily come and connect with God. I simply have to ask myself on a, on a weekly basis, how is business? Today I want to share a simple message that I'm simply calling, when we gather, it is an important, essential component of who we are as a church And I don't want it to go unnoticed as we lean into who we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to do. I have a a special connection to this message today, particularly this text that I'm going to read from today. And I'll try to explain that better as I go along. Meet me this morning in Psalms chapter 73. Psalm chapter 73. Easily one of my favorite texts in all of Scripture. Deeply meaningful to me in this moment. And I want to just unpack some things as we work along there. Psalms chapter 73. Meet me there in your Bibles if you have them. If you're old school, turn there in your Bibles. If you've got your tablets or your phones, I won't mind at all if you engage with the Scriptures. There will also be projecting it on the screens. If, by the way, you don't have a Bible at home and you'd like one, feel free to take one that might be on the edge of your row. While you find that, let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for this church. Thank you for this house. Thank you for what we get to do here. I thank you for Joey and just let us, I mean, it felt like heaven came down as we worshiped. Many people moved by your spirit, Father, and there's, you know, we take it, we take advantage of this inverted service where worship was first, where our hearts are soft and supple for your word to land. Would you speak today? Would you, uh, Orient us around your message this morning. God, I know you, you are so faithful to have one message land on so many hearts in, in a unique way. We just ask, Father, that we would be open to what you want to do and say today. Come, Holy Spirit. Move the preacher out of, you, out of the way this morning so that your truth and your light might shine through. We ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Psalm 73. We'll begin at verse 1. <clears throat> Psalmist says, Truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. But as for me, I almost lost my footing. 
My feet were slipping and I was almost gone. For I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. They seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like other people. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. They wear pride like a jeweled necklace and clothe themselves with cruelty. These fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. They scoff and speak only evil. In their pride, they seek to crush others. They boast against the very heavens and their words strut throughout the earth. And so the people are dismayed and confused, drinking in all their words. Verse 11. What does God know, they ask? Does the Most High even know what's happening? Look at these wicked people enjoying a life of ease while the riches multiply. Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. This guy's having a rough time. Verse 15. If I had really spoken this way to others, I would have been a traitor to your people. So I try to understand why the wicked prosper, but what a difficult task it is. Verse 17, then I went into your sanctuary, O God, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. Truly, you put them on a slippery path and send them sliding over the cliff of destruction. In an instant, they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. When you arise, O Lord, you will laugh at their silly ideas as a person laughs at a dream in the morning. Then I realized that my heart was bitter. And I was all torn up on the inside. I was so foolish and ignorant, I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you. Yet I still belong to you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail. My spirit may grow weak. But God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Those who desert him will perish for you, destroy those who abandon you. But as for me, how good it is to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter, and I will tell everyone about the wonderful things you do. Now, you, you can probably tell why that, that this is one of my favorite texts I, I love this text I, I love it because it's honest uh, I love it because it gives me permission to be honest with God I love its grittiness I love how real it is I love how humid it is I love that this text lives where I live it resides where I reside. If you've hang around here for uh, any length of time, you, you might have heard uh, that we, me say that we need some liberation from this impulse. We've been discipled to be little liars. We've been discipled to be pretenders in the church. Such that when somebody asks you, how's it going? Or how are you doing? That we've been conditioned to say, I'm fine. If you've been really... Uh, a disciple in this deception, you, 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 you've been trained to embellish that line to say that you're blessed. You feel great. Don't have a care in the world. We become pretenders. And yet when we turn our faces back to the book, we see texts like this that are a bit depressing. 
that, that are full of lament and holy honesty before the Lord. And if you have eyes to see this the right way, it's refreshing. Because you get to be real with God. You discover and perhaps rediscover that you serve a God who can handle your bad days. You serve a God who is not going to try to coach you towards happiness, to move you past lament. A God that can sit with you and let you jibber-jabber on and tell him all about it. I'm thankful that I serve a God who can handle my bad days. And this particular text speaks to me in, in a very unique way this week because if I can just be transparent, uh, uh, this has probably been one of the hardest ministry weeks of my entire, my entire ministry career. And that doesn't particularly have anything to do with my local church reality here, but some places that I serve and some ways that I know I'm called to labor and to do the hard work of reconciliation in spaces outside of uh, uh, my home church this week has just been devastatingly difficult. I don't think I've ever wanted to quit before this week. A lot of tears this week. A lot of frustration this week. And so I encounter this text with a deep empathy for those who are experiencing pain and disappointment and frustration and I don't want to rush you past that. I don't want to preach you happy today. I want to sit in that with you as God faithfully does. I want to walk slowly with that, in that with you as God so faithfully does because this psalm could be written by me with a few minor adjustments. This, this psalm could, could be written by you with a few minor adjustments. And as I reckon with this text, I realize that this is the heartbeat of folks that show up here every single week, including this one. And so this gathering, this building, this brick-and-mortar place is more than just you know, a testimony, what God gave us. It is an opportunity for us to bring all that we carry into God's house and just see what he does with it. So I want to walk us through this text because this psalm is, paints a picture for us. First, we see his issue. Verse 2, he says, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping, and I was almost gone, for I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. Here's a righteous man who is probably not perfect, but he is living all he knows to live. He's doing what God called him to do, uh, and he, he feels some type of way because when he looks ab around him, he sees people who do not live according to God's standard, people who do not embrace the tenets and statutes of the faith, and they seem to be doing just fine. In fact, more than fine, they seem to be thriving. My man has an issue with this. He says, I was almost gone. Now, you have to understand, this isn't just, <laughs> I'm having a bad faith day. 
This isn't, if I could just get to my devotional and write in my journal today, I'll be fine. This is a full-blown crisis of faith. He says, I was almost slipping. I was almost gone. In the old black church, they would say he was backsliding. You ever said that? Anybody ever backslid? Just real quick, show a hand. <laughs> I know. You're not alone. There's more, okay? He said, I was almost gone. Full-blown crisis of faith. Because the wicked seemed to prosper. I don't know about you, but, you know, my problems and my issues and my needs are more bearable if I don't see folks who care nothing about God seeming to have no problem whatsoever. They seem to be rewarded for their wickedness. The psalmist beholds this, and he has, he has some issues. Now, the symptoms of his issues manifest themselves a few ways. First, it's disappointment, particularly disappointment with God. He's got an issue with God. He's managed to get himself sideways with the creator of the world. The other thing we see is he has what I call skewed vision. In other words, he's, he's, he's not seeing clearly. Because you know when you get in your feelings, you don't, you don't see things, right? You hear things that aren't being said. You perceive things that aren't real. You see attitudes in places where there aren't attitudes. You just see stuff that's not there. As the commercial says, you, you're not yourself when you're hungry, this Snickers commercial, right? In the same way, you're not yourself when you're in your feelings. You're not yourself when you're disappointed, particularly disappointed with God. You know how, how far off the rails you have to be to be disappointed at someone pure, perfect? You know how beside yourself you have to be to be at odds with God? And so I just don't trust myself when I'm in my feelings. Skewed vision. I said, preacher, how do you know his vision is skewed? Verse 4, they seem, the wicked, to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They don't have any troubles like other people. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. They wear pride like a jeweled necklace. These fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. Every enjoying life with ease while their riches multiply. They don't have any problems. One, that's never true of anybody ever. And so it is a gross mischaracterization of the facts. Similar to what happens when you're in a dark place and you go on social media, right? You see everybody's highlights and you compare your Tuesday with somebody's highlights. You compare your unfiltered face to somebody's filtered reality and they've got the smooth skin and, you know, the bunny ears and the weird things, you know. (laughs) All the weird, strange filters that's, I can't make sense of that. Maybe I'm getting too old. (laughs) But do you ever just behold the beauty and perfection of social media when you're having a bad day? It's just, it's almost too much. Skewed vision. And as he travels down that trail, he descends to a place where he has no peace. He has no peace. And according to him, he descends into a place where he falls into sin. Now, this might be a more respectable sin, but he says in verse 3, I envied the proud. 
I envied them. I let that thing take root and residency in my heart, and it began to fester and creates this perfect storm. And as I pause right here, I realize that this is who shows up on Sunday morning. I know you're suited and booted. You got your best face on. Your kids look nice, smell good. But these are our worshipers. These, who, these are the folks who gather in God's house. Now, just, you know, his thing was he, you know, envy the proud. You know, just plug your thing in. Just plug your thing in. Plug your relational, vocational, you know, financial, dating. Just plug your deal in. Whatever you're nursing, whatever issue has got you beside yourself, whatever has got you disappointed, just plug it in today. And we, we all just have a party. We just share our dysfunction. This is who shows up every week in God's house, desperate for an encounter. And friends, this is why we can't, I can't get up here shucking and jiving and doing the silliness that I see. Like somebody's life depends on this. Like, I literally get a paycheck every couple of weeks to set the table for you. This is, this is life or death as far as I see it. I've got plenty of friends in ministry who, who say to me that they've heard testimonies and stories of a young lady who's walking past the church to take her own life. She sees free coffee on the vineyard sign, and she's, she thinks to herself, I at least deserve a nice cup of coffee before I kill myself. Walks into that church. Now, this woman's backstory is that she is, uh, you know, a trafficked slave, sex slave um, who actually married her captor and just is in this life, in this foreign country, foreign to her, and she decides, I, I deserve a cup of coffee before I kill myself this morning. And in that particular service, they were dealing with sex trafficking, and they ministered to her. And that woman is alive today. This, this is the reality of what we do. That's who's in the seats. Which is why I'm glad that the Psalms... This particular psalm seems to get like to the middle of it. It's almost like a brand new psalm starts. You ever read the psalms? Like it's like two different ones that they forgot to hit enter and give it a new number. Like this seems like two different authors, right? This is one of those, one of those psalms. Because as the psalm is just sort of the Lord lets, lets him just walk himself through his issues, sit in his dysfunction. Eventually he gets to what I call a pivotal moment, a turning point. And what makes the difference in this psalmist's life? Is it that at the precise moment that he's talking to God, that, 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 that the wicked, all of a sudden, the wrath of God hits him and now he's satisfied? Is it likely the case that at the moment we reach this point in the psalms that God, you know, his circumstances change and everything in his world is okay? That's, that's not what happens. What happens? What makes the difference? He tells us, verse 17, then I went into your sanctuary, O God. He, he enters the sanctuary. We would say, I went to church. I went to worship. 
I, I went to night of worship. Maybe you might say, I went to small group. I was dragging the ground. I was slipping. I was almost gone. But something happened when I entered the house of worship. Something about this old place. Something about these old purple chairs. That's why we're spending every nickel we can to make it a warm, inviting atmosphere, not because we're preoccupied with the building, but we want this to be a place where people want to come and stay a while. While we serve Subway at the end of the service, uh, we, we hear a little bit about you being fed, but we know that if we feed you, you might stick around a little bit. <laughs> might stay a little longer. We even got smart and said, hey, man, put out some muffins or something at the beginning, some fruit, some coffee or tea, maybe splash of lemonade. They might come early to God's house. <laughs> and it's working. Some of you still haven't picked up on the fact that we started 1030, but that's okay. It's just slow adapters to everything. But we want you to spend as much time as possible in God's house because things begin to turn around for this fella. When he enters the sanctuary. And so I think... Uh, at least for us, that the significance of this place is that this is where you come to meet friends. This is where you come to belong, sometimes before you even believe. But the most important thing that you get when you come into God's house, if they're doing it right, is you get perspective. Isn't that right? I wish I could bottle perspective, healthy perspective, sell it on Amazon or something. I'd be a rich man. Is the thing I need most when I'm in my feelings and, and, I, and I can't see straight and I'm sideways with God and I'm sideways with my purpose and I'm sideways with my calling, I'm sideways with my wife. It's the thing I need most, perspective. In particular, I need heaven's perspective. I need heaven's vantage. I don't trust my vantage. See, I'm too close to it. I'm too, I'm too close up on it and I, I can only see what's right in front of my face. And even if I backed up just a little bit, I'm still only seeing a fraction, a fraction of what God sees from heaven's vantage, which is why worship is so important. Worship causes you to ascend to the mountain of God so that you might meet with him and not just meet with him so that you can look down on your situation from heaven's vantage. And things that I was sure of, Things that I was confident in when I went up on the mountain of God and I beheld my situation from his vantage, I said, oh, that's why you did that, Lord. I said, oh, that's why you're not in a hurry. That's why you took that person out of my life. That's why you didn't give me success in that realm. The slow work of God. The slow work of God. The glorious unfolding of his plans and purposes. Trust it because you can't see what he sees. And you don't know what he knows. The slow work. Slow work. We need heaven's vantage. And in the absence of heaven's vantage, because sometimes God 
says, I can't, I'm not going to show you this. You just need to trust me. And he might say to you, have I, have I ever let you down before? And you say, my, that one time when I didn't get what I wanted, that time I asked you for this, and that time he said, no, 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 no. I've disappointed you, and that's fine. Because a good father could do that. So sit down, child, long and hard. Think, take as much time as you want. Have I ever let you down? Have I ever let you go? And you get thinking about it, say, man. Scriptures come rushing back. Not even death can separate us. But the thing that most people fear the most, the sting was taken out of even that, so that our answer to that question, have I ever let you down, is always, always, if we're honest, a resounding no. And in the absence of a clear picture of heaven's vantage, God will say, God, trust me. You have to trust me. And these realities comes rushing to us when we come to worship. When we come to worship. The present day contemporary reality, when we come into the sanctuary, some old sweaty preacher like me gets up. And if he or she is worth his or her salt, every week there's something from the book. He's not up there shucking and jiving. He's not, you know, trying to be cute and funny and relevant. It's not mimicking and parroting worldly wisdom. He's had his face in the book all week. He's had his ear toward heaven because somebody's life depends on him bringing a word. She's had her face to the ground, her ear toward heaven because she knows that when she stands to preach, lives depend on it. Souls, spiritual trajectories are at stake preacher is not trying to be your friend. He's not trying to make your Christmas list. Doesn't care if you get upset. He's just the mailman bringing the mail. Preacher stands up and tells you about God's standard for holiness. Preacher stands up and shakes you a bit. Because you got too much of the world on you from Monday through Saturday. Preacher reminds you that you are made with intentionality and purpose. And that regardless of how it might seem right now, that your life matters, that you have a plan and you have a purpose. He he, he or she might call you to ascend to a place that's higher. And all while he does that, he, 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 he seasons it with grace. Don't want you to leave the building before you know that God loves you. And even though you had to get kicked in the back pockets, God did it so that you might know of his love for you. That's what happens. That's what's supposed to happen in God's house. And you might have come here wondering when we're going to get involved in all the pageantry and all the pomp and all the circumstance and all the entertainment. We don't do that here. We preach, we pray, we sing, and we hang out maybe over a sandwich or two. We're not going to do much else here. I'm not trying to talk about what somebody else is. I'm talking about what I've been told to do here. We're going to keep it real simple here. We're going to preach. We're going to pray. We're going to sing. Cast out a few devils and, you know, fill you up with the spirit and get you a sandwich and go home. And, 
God's house. What else we do in God's house? We, we sing a lot. Worship. So important. And to the uninitiated, it's just songs. I really like the band. They are really, I mean, that was really inspirational. But what, what, what you may or may not know is that these songs, these songs are the corporate rehearsal of truth. One of my worship pastor friends was reminding the senior pastor when he was getting on him about how long the worship set was. He told, he told the preacher, said, listen, they don't go out singing your sermon. They're humming the songs we sing. And that's why we got to pick good songs that are ripped from the pages of Scripture because it's the rehearsal, the corporate rehearsal of truth about who God is, about who you are. These songs, bathed in truth, serve as reminders for the things that your week has caused you to forget about God and yourself. When we say, you'll do exceedingly so much more than we could ask, believe, or imagine, you go, I, I forgot God was generous. Because at the present time, I got more month than money. I forgot he was generous. Thank you. Good song. I don't know who wrote that song, but that's a good song. <laughs> Waymaker. Miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, that is who you are. And so to somebody, oh, that's a nice melody. But to somebody who needed to hear that. And I love that we're being more expressive in worship here. It's nothing for me to see my sister doubled over, travailing as the goodness of God has been spoken over her and reminded, right? You don't know what she's been through. Don't try to silence her. Let her holler if she want to holler. Because something was put in the atmosphere that reminded her of something that quickened her in that moment. Thank you, sister. As Joey sings, like Keely sang those songs today, with the kind of week that I'm having, I was undone in his presence. I could have used two or three more songs, to be honest. Worship. Pray for one another. We see the blessings of our family through one another. That's what happens in this house. And so I'm struck by the end of this psalm because the psalmist, as he comes into the sanctuary, he gets, he seems at least to get exactly what he needs, exactly what he needs from God. The way I see it, as I just sort of land this thing, uh, the, 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 the um, psalmist here is reminded of three important things when he goes into the sanctuary. The first thing is that he is reminded of God's justice. He is reminded of God's justice. He says in verse 17, Then I went into your sanctuary, O God, and finally I understood the destiny of of the wicked. Truly you put them on a slippery path and send them sliding over the cliff to destruction. In an instant they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. When you arise, O Lord, you will laugh at their silly ideas as a person laughs at dreams in the morning. He 
is reminded of God's justice. And how many of you know when you are reminded of God's justice, you are, you are also reminded that you are not chief justice? <laughs> you, you are also reminded that the gavel is not yours to wield. And that the judge's robe is not yours to wear. And as you are reminded in God's house of his justice and his role, then you hand him back his gavel. And you you give him back his robe so that he might serve as the judge and not you. You might also discover that he is far more merciful with you than you want him to be with somebody else who you're sideways with. And if God would exact his judgment on the wicked as swiftly as you would want him to, if that pace was visited upon you in your recent sins, I don't think you'd appreciate it. And so as I hand God his gavel back and say, Lord, you, you say in your word that your justice isn't mocked, that we will eventually reap what we saw and that you are also merciful. Oh, the peace of those who rest in God's justice. Those who learn the fine, honed skill of minding your own business and letting God be God. He is reminded of God's justice. Second thing he remembers as he enters the place to worship is he, he, he's reminded of his own contributions to his dysfunction, right? He, he's reminded of his role in all of this. Some of us, when we get beside ourselves and we're in our feelings, we, we seem like such a victim, like such a helpless victim. All this stuff is happening to us. Woe is me. But how many of you know when you get in the presence of God, he has a weird, you know, wild way of putting a mirror in front of you so that you might see your contribution to your madness. It says in verse 21, then I realized that my heart was bitter and I was all torn up on the inside. I was so foolish and ignorant, I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you. How many of you know that when God talks to me, most of the time he's talking to me about me? You've heard me say this before, but I've grown skeptical of folks who can only hear from God about somebody else. Well, the Lord told me that she ain't living right, and the Lord told me that. What, what did God tell you about you? Well, we can see it, but I wonder if he, he told you about you. Now, I get words for other people. I get, you know, I'm discerning, but the majority of the time when I'm hearing from God, it's about me. What I need to tighten up. Go apologize to your wife. Take it easier on your children. Get in my book. Seek my faith. You know, this, these are the typical conversations. And so in God's house, if we come in here right, the Lord will show us us. Third and final thing that the psalmist sees as he goes into the house of God to worship he is reminded of God's great love for him. He's reminded of God's great love. And whenever I preach this text, this is my, this is my favorite. This is my favorite part. 
never grow tired of this. Because, yes, I'm reminded of God's justice. That's great. That's necessary. I'm, I, 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 am, I, I am shown by God my own contribution to my dysfunction. That's necessary. That's essential. But, 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 but what's most powerful, what's most necessary for me is that when I come into God's house, when I come into his presence, when I encounter him, that I am reminded that he loves me, that he is for me. And that not even death can separate me from that love. Verse 23, he says, yet I still belong to you. Yet, after all of this, I must have sounded like a senseless animal. God, I might have even wasted some of your heavenly time going on and on about my own problem. Yet, at the end of all of this, I belong to you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail. My spirit may grow weak. But God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Now, who, who, who needed to hear that today? Who had rehearsed themselves into perhaps even physical sickness over what they're dealing with? Who might have even gathered others around you to commiserate with you to reinforce how, how, how terrible things are for you? Who, who might need in this moment to push all of that aside and to be reminded that God loves me? And that's a call to holiness. He's, he, he loves me in response to his love and his faithfulness and his salvation. I live for him. He loves me so no weapon formed against me will prosper. He loves me, and therefore he is for me, and his plans for me are good, and he wishes me well. The Spirit goes with me through the corners and in the shadows and in the mountains and the valleys of life. He loves me. Everything we say is wrapped up in that message. He loves me so much that he gave his what? Only begotten Son, so that whosoever might believe in him shall not what? Perish but have eternal life. Not in the sweet by and by, but the kingdom coming now, the fullness of that now. The glory of that now. I can experience that now. I shouldn't say the fullness of that, but the inauguration of that in, in the moment. God's great love for us. And so as I close, Nike, you can come up as we prepare to close with a worship song, is, you know, some of us have just taken a really casual approach to what we do here. And I'm going to put on my mailman hat right now. And this might sound like an indictment because in some ways it is. You know, we, we've, we've drifted from uh, a significant churchmanship and as kids' soccer games and all kinds of activities and, I don't know, the ice cream truck passing your house on a Sunday morning, anything can keep you from coming to God's house. And, of course, that's frustrating for somebody in my position. But it's just, it's so unwise. Given what we get when we come here, it's, so, it's foolish to hold 
so many more things is more important than what we do here. To be so casual and so sporadic and so indifferent. And you can't make sense of why your life is in shambles and why you keep choosing poorly. And why you don't have any power to live this life the way you're supposed to. You wonder why the things of God are just so optional for you. And don't hear this as merely a chastisement. Hear this as a holy shake to your soul. That we were created to worship God. To help other people press into the presence of God. And even if you don't need it that day, just be there to help somebody else get it. This room should be important. This house should represent something more to you than just something you do kind of on the side. God loves you. And we respond to that love with worship in the sanctuary. When we gather, I pray that you take this as seriously as you should. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for all the ways that you pour out your love on us. Thank you for all the ways, God, that um, you challenge us this morning. Thank you for all the ways, God, that you call us higher toward heaven's vantage, to see things the way you would have us see them. Father, we pray for heaven's perspective on our situations, but we also pray for a new, renewed commitment to the gathering, whether that be Sunday, whether that be small group, whether it be nights of worship, Lord, may we lean into the gathering in ways that we haven't before. Come, Holy Spirit, do your work. In Jesus' name.